for those who have the faith and the endurance and the patience, for those who are infused with the Spirit and they aren't growing weary, they're standing with their God along the way. For those who are saved, man, know this, you have a hope at the end. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be celebrating. Man, we make much of Jesus Christ. Our job is to rally together, making him our first love. And so as we have rallied together here in person and online, just want to say thanks for getting together. Let's continue to make much of Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said... Amen, man. Don't miss that. That's why we're here. That's what we're going after. We're in a series here in the book of Revelation. We've just gotten launched in the book of Revelation, and we're in the first series here. It's Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, and it's called Wake Up Call. Wake Up Call. The first few chapters are a massive call out to the church to get fired up about Jesus Christ, to get fired up about following Him, and to make much of Him in every facet of their life. And so it starts out with this big celebration of all that Jesus is. That's really chapter one, this great statement of all that Jesus is. And then chapters two and three are letters to the seven churches, which we're going to start into today and get after the first letter today. All right? Super excited about it. Very practical stuff as we walk through these seven churches and the challenges to them. So that said, as we go to dive in, I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and turn to page eight in your books, all right? If you could turn to page eight in your booklet, you should have uh, a booklet. And uh, if you did not get one, we want to make sure we get one to you. We got the ushers here. Just raise your hand. They'll get one of those Revelation booklets to you. This has our sermon outlines in it. It's got the impact group questions. It's got reading plans as well. So just get your hand raised. The ushers will uh, catch your attention and they will get a book to you, all right? So appreciate that. And if you're online with us, you can go to our website, go all the way over to the right side to the resources page, go down a few there, and you'll see the PDF for this booklet there as well. So you can grab that electronic booklet. If you want a physical one, come on into the offices uh, or see you next week, right? And uh, we'd love to be able to have you grab a book. All right, so that said, let's just make sure we talk a little bit more about the interpreting approach. We already talked about this a couple weeks back when we launched the series, but I just wanted to walk through maybe the rest of this page a little bit, all right? So again, just as a reminder, the book of Revelation... Bottom line, there's a lot of different interpretive approaches. There's a lot of different thoughts that people have. And so let's just make sure we're clear on where we stand, all right? The book of Revelation has three different elements in it, three different types of writing. And so the first type is what you would call epistolary. It's a letter form. It's to real people in real time with real problems at the time of John. John was writing to the churches of Asia, and he was letting them know some things that were going on, all right? So real letters. It's just like the book of Ephesians or the book of Galatians or the book of Colossians to real people in real time with real things going on. And we can learn from those and take some of those principles forward to today, all right? So that's a big part of Revelation is there is this letter form in there. But then there's another form. There's the prophecy, the prophetic statements. And those are real promises from a real God looking to make things happen. And he's being very specific prophecy, things that will happen literally and physically. That's how God works. When he prophesies something, he's not kind of vague. 
He's very specific and very detailed about exactly what he's going to go after. And so we want to read the prophecy pieces just like we would read prophecy in the Old Testament, right? When you go to prophecy that talks, for example, about Jesus Christ as suffering servant, that he is the lamb who would die for us, his blood covering our sin. When we see the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, man, the details in that are stunningly accurate, exact in nature. It's not when God prophesies, you're like, well, I mean, it's kind of like that. Like that's not a fulfillment of a prophecy. God fulfills literally physically and obviously as a fulfillment, okay? And so we're looking for that too, right? And so with the letters and with the prophecy, in both cases, you're reading from a plain sense read, just what does it say? And we're looking for what it says and what it means, and then we're looking to apply that to our understanding, okay? So those are the first two pieces. And then the third piece that is in the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. There's some moments where there's some bigger things being captured, and there's symbols that get used and great signs in the midst of that. In fact, oftentimes in the midst, he'll be like, here's a great sign. And then he'll start using more symbolic language. In fact, even some of the times he'll be like, and here's what that means. We even saw that last week as we were walking through it. He's like, there's a uh, one who's in a white robe and his face is beaming white and he's standing among seven lampstands and he's holding the seven stars. And he's like, here's what all that means. And he reveals it out, right? And so the apocalyptic literature has a lot of symbol in it, but it also oftentimes has a lot of definition to it, okay? Now there are some who just say the, the book of Revelation is all apocalyptic, and so all of a sudden they start washing it all out as symbolic. Now you take words that very, have a very plain sense, obvious understanding, but you start trying to find symbol in it or changing over the definitions of it. We're not going to be doing that, okay? We're just going to be walking through and what does it say? All right, so that said, with those three elements in play, then how are we going to approach it? So that's the bottom half on page eight here, all right? So here we go, our approach. Because of these multiple styles, uh, within the book of Revelation, it's important for us to establish how we will read and interpret. So this is our basic approach. Here we go. First, plain sense read. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, right? That's a pretty common quote that's out there, and uh, it's a great way to understand it. Like, if you're reading it, and it's pretty obvious, and it says what it says, then that's what it is, all right? If the plain sense makes sense, then don't look for any other sense. That's where we're gonna roll with that. Second, from a prophetic point of view, like how will we handle the prophetic statements? Well, the bottom line is when it says that something is gonna happen, if there has been an exact match to it already in time, then you would call that prophecy fulfilled. We would definitely say that a virgin having a child has been fulfilled. And all of God's people said, like when it's literally fulfilled, we can call that done. But when we're not seeing it exactly, literally, physically fulfilled, then we will continue to look for that as a future fulfillment. That's how we're going to handle the prophetic read. It will be literally, physically, obviously fulfilled. That's a prophetic fulfillment. Otherwise, it's still future, okay? And we're looking for it that way. All right, that said, apocalyptic read. How will we handle this? Well, where there is an image and it's defined, like it's already telling you what it means, like Jesus saying in the seven lampstands represent the seven churches, like last week when we read that. When it's defined, well then that is the symbolic meaning. Don't look for something other than what's already given as the meaning, right? 
But if it's not defined, if it's undefined in that regard, then we got to decide, is it literal or is it symbolic? In the midst of the symbol, is that just an object in there that's just part of the storyline or is that a symbol and it means something more and then what could it mean? And there may not be a definition to a few of the pieces and those are things we'll have to kind of piece together. But what you're going to find is when you take a plain sense read and you walk it through, that actually the majority of Revelation just really starts falling out as kind of an obvious statement of what's being made about what's coming or about what was going on at the time of John as we're gonna look at in the seven churches, all right? So we're gonna take a plain sense read and that just means if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. And that's gonna be our basic approach except when we hit some of the bigger statements of symbol. Okay, so that's where we're headed. That said, as we dive into these seven churches, so these seven churches are real churches. They really existed at the time of John. They really existed just off the island of Patmos and John was called to write to them. So real people in real time with real problems and real successes. And so as we read this, it's just like if we were looking at the book of Ephesians or Galatians or whatever, we're going to see what they're going through. We're going to learn from it. We're going to take those principles across to today and we're going to learn and grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. That's how we're going to walk through these seven letters, just like you would any of the other letters in the New Testament. All right. Makes sense? All right. So that's where we're headed. And I just will say this. There are some that want to say, I think the churches represent like different church eras across all of the church age. And they start to go symbolic right away with it. And I'll just say, just remember, Jesus did say, write to the seven churches in Asia. He didn't say write to the seven churches that will be represented across the church age. So let's be careful not to change what it says. We're going to write to the seven churches is the way we're going to take it. And then we're going to learn and grow from it. Ready? And all of God's people said. All right. That said, why don't you go ahead and turn to page 22. That's the beginning of the third week as we get going here. And uh, let's dive in. Okay. So as we go here, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're actually looking very clearly at the seven churches. This is the first church, the church of Ephesus, and the call is to love well. Point number one, do not grow weary in standing for Jesus and his truth. Do not grow weary in standing for Jesus and his truth. He starts out, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. I'll just hold right there. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. Now remember, we talked about that word angel last week, the word angelos. It actually is a word that means messenger. And so it can mean a divine messenger, the angel, like we would think of the word angel, the, this kind of divine supernatural being and uh, this angel of that sort. And that is one sort of messenger, a messenger from God to man. And then there's another form that that word is used in, uh, the same Greek word gets used for human beings that are bringing a message. In fact, like John the Baptist was actually called a messenger who was preparing the way for Jesus. And the word there is actually angelos, angel. 
He's called a messenger, a human messenger representing Jesus Christ. And so you can see it used in both ways. And in this case, you kind of have a choice to make about it. You can make your decision as to what you want. I'm kind of leaning towards, I think this is probably a call out to the different pastors of the different churches and kind of a call to grow those churches and what mattered and what was right there, all right? But either way, this is a call to a messenger to guide the church in Ephesus, a call to guide them along as Jesus would have it said. And then he says, here's the quote from Jesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's like, let's just make sure you know who's talking to you, right? And so Jesus starts out as the one who's standing amongst the seven golden lampstands and holding the seven stars in his hand. Just as a little reminder, let's just throw the image up that we actually had in last week's. Uh, that was just a, a, an artist's rendering of a potential thought to this, right? This is one of our local artists, Tim Beck, who drew this and uh, just super appreciate him. But this captures the thought, right? You have this man with the, this son of man with his face beaming with the glory and the holiness and the white robe and the golden sash and the seven lampstands around that represent the seven churches and the seven stars in his hand that represent the seven messengers or seven pastors. He's like, don't forget to tell them that the one who's talking to them right now and challenging them, John, you tell them, this is the one who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Don't let them miss the authority I have over the churches and that I stand amongst them and I will be growing them. And this is my challenge and my thought to them. All right. Okay. So he's basically said, let me give them my resume. I'm that guy right? I'm that authority. I'm the one building the church. Here we go. Now, John continues to quote Jesus. He says, um, from Jesus to them, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. He's talking to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is, and he's using John as the messenger here in between. And he says, I know your works, the acts, the efforts, you're pouring into Jesus. Like, I know the things you're doing and the things you're going after. And those are awesome. And he's like, and I know your toil. And uh, just so you know, this word toil probably speaks a little more to what's going on inside, where the first word speaks a little more to what's going on outside. He's sort of like, I know all the efforts and the actions you're in, and I know the toll it's taking on your soul. I know how hard it is. I know the grind. And I know what you're going through in the midst of it. I know your exhaustions in the middle of it as you're going hard after me. And he says, and your patient endurance. Your endurance. What's remaining under well is really what the word means there. To have this weight on your pack and holding on well. Endurance, carrying it well, and patient endurance impacted by the love of God and the holiness of God as you hold in there patiently. And it's kind of easy to endure annoyingly, isn't it? He's not saying as you annoyingly endured, as you put up with and you wished it all would change and you were quick to tell them how wrong they were when they fill in the blank. Not that, everybody say not that. Right? He's like, no, patiently endured along the way. Basically he's saying, man, great job and you're working for Jesus Christ. Jesus saying, great job as you work hard for me. Thanks for all you're doing. Then he says, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. 
It's like, I recognize that you love me, Jesus saying this. I recognize that you've got this hunger. And I recognize that in the midst of that, you stand for rightness, truth. And and that it actually gets to you when you see people going down a path that is anti-truth. Man, the the church at Ephesus was sent up in a, a pretty rough area. Ephesus as a city, we're going to talk about it in a little bit here, but as a city, it had a lot of things going wrong. It was an urban center with a ton of sin, and there was a lot of junk going on and a lot of wrong things being said and a lot of untruth being pushed, and does that sound familiar? Right? And like the press coming in of how you need to think along the way, and they were like, yeah, we will not move with that. I love that you would not move with the evil and that you would not tolerate that in the midst of it. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, yes, keep driving in the right direction. These evil people, I'll say it this way, that probably is best summarized as people who celebrate evil and won't get off of it. That's what he's talking about. People who celebrate evil and they won't get off of it. In fact, they're trying to lift it up as a what to go after, okay? He's like, I love that you won't uh, tolerate that and hang with that. He says, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. You got to imagine the church at Ephesus is probably about, eh, probably about 50 years old at this point, 50 years old. And some of the apostles have lived and thrived and now been martyred. In fact, we think John was the one left at that point in time on the island of Patmos. And all of a sudden, at the church that's only 50 years old, picture this, like this church is about 16 years old right now. Imagine all of a sudden somebody walks in the doors and says, just so you know, I'm an apostle. I'm in charge. God talks to me and I'm going to make clear to you and I'm going to direct and lead this church and here we go. And then he starts to direct and make statement about how things should be and it's counter to the very letters you have from the other apostles. And all of a sudden you're like, well, that's not really what Paul said. Hang on here. And what what do you mean by that when you just said that? That's not what I heard from Peter when he wrote us another letter and it's been passed around. What are you saying when you're saying that? That's what they were doing when they were testing. They were like, it doesn't line up with what God has said to us and it's not lining up with what God's word has been delivered to us from the other apostles. They were testing it along the way and they found it to be false. And uh, whatever these apostles were claiming, I have no idea what they were doing, but man, it is amazing how often people just would prefer to have power, no matter where it comes from, and they would love to have drawn it from the church. It rallied together, great, we'll kind of put ourselves in the center of it and call ourselves important. And that's what these guys were doing, right? And uh, everybody say, that's a terrible plan. Right? And we got to make sure that we're ready to always measure things against God's word. Man, please hear me. We must always be presenting and preaching God's word and standing with it. I'll just say it as emphatically as I possibly can. If for some reason this church, I stop preaching God's word and we start preaching something counter, get out of here. Leave, man. You don't want to call this place home. Time to find a new one then. May God get all the glory. We stand on his word. And all of God's people said, 
That's why we're here. And that's what they were doing, testing along the way. And um, that would have sounded really weird if you came in on that sentence halfway through and just heard me say, get out of here. So that's only if we do it wrong, right? Okay. Enough said. Uh, I know... <laughs> maybe that'll be different at the 11. We'll see. I know... <laughs> I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. You are standing up for, you are taking the cost of, you are taking the hit of along the way. And I see this, you are handling it well. Maybe we could just put it this way. Jesus is like, I'm smiling. I'm seeing how well things are going in certain areas of your action. And I so appreciate what's going on. And he says, and you have not grown weary. Man, it gets so easy when we have the wrong of this world, the junk of lies washing on our shore, the challenge against for us to just get tired out and weary. And he's like, way to grind it out. Way to stay in there. Way to have your right action and the toiling and the, the bearing with the, the right things and not bearing with the wrong things. And yes, nice job. And, and may we not grow weary. This world has been washing a lot of lies on our shore. And it's been raising up more and more and more. Are you growing weary? Are you growing tired? I'll just say this. Uh, top three indications you're growing weary. Ready? Top three indications you're growing weary. Uh, we'll go through these kind of fast. Um, but uh, you are angry, not patient. You replace patience with anger. You're angry, not patient. Or here's a second indication of weary. You're annoyed. You're an annoyance rather than an assistance. You're seeing them as annoying you in every facet. You can't really come alongside. They're an annoyance. And you don't want to be in assistance. Like annoyed rather than willing to assist. All of a sudden we start distancing and we start being frustrated with, right? So our patience turns to anger. Our assistance turns to annoyance. And our worship turns to worry. Our worship turns to worry. All of a sudden, we stop taking our eyes fixed on Jesus and we place them squarely on the problem and we start discussing all of the facets of the problem that are really wrong. And it's not wrong to be an expert of understanding what's wrong, but be careful if it starts tearing you down, if it's moving you into anger or an unwillingness to assist or it moves you into a worrying rather than a worshiping man, just so you know, you're beginning to grow weary. Be careful along the way, right? So I was looking for an illustrate this week and I just thought, I'll give you a little update on where I'm at. I haven't told you where I'm at with some of my physical stuff for a while. And uh, many of you may not even know if you've started coming in the last year or two, we haven't talked a little bit about it, but the reality is um, I ended up having some problems in the last, we'll call it decade, um, nine years or 10 years or so now, I can't believe it's been that long, but ended up having brain surgery, had to have a tumor addressed uh, that was pressing on the pituitary. And so I had brain surgery in 2013 and brain surgery in 
2015 and then brain surgery in 2018. So we had surgery three times over to try to pull back that tumor and address it and it just kept growing back right away. It was benign, but it was growing hard and fast and had to go after it. And so as we uh, addressed it the third time with surgery, they said, just so you know, that's, that's not gonna work anymore. Like we can't keep going in with surgery and it's not working. So we ended up having to do gamma knife radiation in 2018 as well. And uh, 2018 was a rough year. And uh, ended up going in for the gamma knife radiation where they just load this tumor up, just hit it hard with a ton of radiation. And it's all at once. Now the reality is it has kind of a, you know, the bell curve fall off. So it's gonna hit other things around it. And we knew that. And part of the plan of this was to hit the tumor as hard and as fast as we could, even knowing that it will hit the pituitary a little bit. That means some of my hormones will be affected over life. You just gotta pay attention now. Well, now we're three or four years out and praise God, the tumor has been held at bay and even shrinking a little bit and those things have been going great. It worked well for that. Some of the radiation has hit the pituitary and we are starting to see a little bits of fade. You know, this summer I was deciding I, I want to get back into golf a little bit. It's been a long time and got my clubs out and went out and drove some balls too. I could not like 25 balls and I'm like cooked. I'm like, that is about all I got. What's going on? And so I was setting it, so trying to figure it out. What's wrong with my diet or something? And, and then we went and got some blood draws and it turns out several hormones a little bit wobbly, but the biggest one being that uh, testosterone was really starting to fade off. The input that causes testosterone comes from the pituitary and those hormones were on a hard fade down. So everything was dipping off, okay? Well, the good news is with pituitary stuff, you can inject things and take pills and whatever. So um, my wife is now injecting me with testosterone. <laughs> Everybody say that's a little scary. <laughs> and, uh, but she is, she's injecting me with testosterone and that's actually been getting the levels back up and that's been helping a lot just to get back to some normal energy levels. I'm out, hey man, I can drive 75 balls now, right? Like that kind of thing. Like at least a little bit of energy back and some going after it. We're still trying to figure out levels. That's all still going on, but at least things are coming along the way, kind of getting after it. So just so you know, that's a little update where I'm at. Yes, putting a little bit in, that's causing me to be able to hold on. I'm just telling you, when Jesus is saying to them, do not grow weary, he is saying, listen, let me pour my power, let me pour my love into you. You need to be welling up and spilling over with me. You need to be infused with the Holy Spirit, his love and his glory, that will hold you in and not grow weary. Here's what he is not saying, everybody say not. He's not saying just tough up. He's not saying that. He's not saying, look, I, I, you're doing it alone, but just try it, okay? Just see if it were not that. He is saying, with the power of the Spirit within you, infusing you with all you have, this can hold you in there where you will not grow weary. Hang on. Hang in there with love and patience and power. And looking for God to get the glory as you stand for what's right, may God truly get all the praise. So simple question. So how are you doing with weariness? Is this world getting you tired? Maybe it's time to be infused with the Holy Spirit, infused with the joy of Jesus Christ and spending time with him 
in every way, shape, and form. May our anger be turned back to patience. May our annoyance be turned back to assistance. May our worry be turned back to worship. And all of God's people said, let's take a step towards no more weariness, okay? Point number two. Point number two, remain close to Jesus in passionate worship, repenting where needed. Remain close to Jesus in passionate worship, repenting where needed. So he just got done and he's like, I love your works and I love your toil and I love how you're standing up for the right things. And then he gets to verse four and he says, but have you ever had one of those conversations? Where somebody's like, man, I love how you're doing this. I love how this is going. I love, but, and you're like, uh-oh. Like that's, we need to hear that. As soon as you hear the but, this thing in your soul needs to be like, uh-oh. Now what's coming? Remember, imagine you're the church the first time you're hearing this letter read out loud. And I love your works and I love your toil, but, everybody say, uh-oh. Here it comes, but. I have this against you. Remember, this is the son of man speaking who's standing amongst the lampstands. This is the one who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is the one with all authority and all power and all glory. This is what I have. He says that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. That you have abandoned the love Look, you've stepped aside from the passionate relationship with me. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Did you know that you can work for Jesus but not be loving Jesus? Did you know that your actions can be centered around Christ and around the church? but your heart, soul, center is not centered on, Lord God, may you get my worship right now. I'm in with you. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I celebrate you. You're more like, I'm doing the right things. Remember, he's like, I love your actions. Your heart motivation, let's bring it along. You're drifting from me. The love with me isn't what's strong now. Now it's just your overt action. He's like, you're abandoned this love. You left me in the midst of it. Probably that means they've picked up self, although he didn't say that here. He just says flat out, come back to me and love me. Come back to me and love me. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. And basically implying, remember how high you've tumbled from. Dude, the highest point you can be is absolutely passionately in love with the God of the universe who has poured it on for you and you stand with him no matter what. You're giving him your life. He's in charge, king of kings. Do you love Jesus Christ? I'm not asking do you appreciate. I'm asking are you ready to sacrifice it all? for his name and his fame and his person? Are you ready to not make it some abstract behavior, but some personal relationship with your God? Are you ready to spend time with your king? Moment in the word, moment in prayer, 
Not because you pray, check. You, you read, pray, check. Not that, but because you love him. And you're on your face before him. And you're spending time with him. May we not turn the Christian walk into a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is about a relationship with the king of the universe. And all of God's people said, and this is a huge deal. It is so easy to turn it into a bunch of do's and don'ts along the way. He says, repent and do the works that you did at first. Repent and do the works that you did at first. Listen to those words. He's like, I love your works. Get back to the works you did at first. In other words, let's put it in a different way. Dude, you're not doing wrong things, but there are things you've stopped doing. This isn't about the things you're doing being bad. It's not a sin of commission. This is about things you've left on the table. It's about relationship things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Man, the church has to be fired up by love. Love, love, love. God is love. If we are not fired up by love, we are not fired up by God. Our passion has to be that we are fired up by the God of the universe and we are longing for him to get our everything. May every step we take be, Lord God, this is because I love you. Have a talk with your God regularly. Communicate. Find a way to have a language with him that is absolutely rocking your life. And I love to talk with my God as the one who is in charge of my life, coach, communicator, like, Lord God, you know what I need and I do not. And Lord, you know what I need to hear. And there are times where I think I know and I'm off base. I am ready to hear from you. Give me what I need to hear. Lord God, I'm in. You're in charge. Man, lay it on the line. Guys, make your home a place where you are thunderously on fire for Jesus Christ. Love him with all you've got. Set your home on fire with your passion for him. This is the call out. He says, do the works that you did at first, these works of love that apparently they set down. And he says, if not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Dude, those are painful words. He's like, you are a church because you represent me. If you're not gonna represent me, then we're gonna take this light down and we're gonna build it up somewhere else. And please hear me. Christ is very specifically saying, this church can be shut down. Just because it has the name Jesus somehow attached to it, just because it has the name church somehow attached to it doesn't mean that it flourishes. And Jesus is like, I'm just telling you, I can move the people onto a place where there is fire and passion. Let's make sure we go after a hunger for Jesus Christ. The church at Ephesus had to hear this from the son of man, the king of glory. Otherwise, I could shut your church down. And that's got to be a sobering moment. Come to me and love me. I love you with all I've got. Let's do this together. 
He says, unless you repent. A call to turn, a call to turn from all that's going on and saying, let's go after this together. He says, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Yet this you have. He's like, let's get back around to some of the good works. Like I've given you a lot of hard and heavy. Let me get back to a little happy. This you have. Man, you're going against the Nicolaitans, and I love that. In fact, he doesn't use the word love. He uses the word hate. He says, uh, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, you might read that fast, and you just heard Jesus say he hates people. But in fact, if you read that slower, it says, you hate their works, and I hate their works. I don't stand with that. It's destructive. Now, we really don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans. There's not a lot said. In fact, there's only one other time they're mentioned, and it's in a letter two from now when we go to Pergamum, and it's the same thing. The Nicolaitans have somehow gotten in all over the place in the Asia Minor area, and and nobody's really sure what it's about. For sure, there's a teaching in it, and for sure, there's a behavior in it. It seems to be causing people to drift away from a passion and a hunger for Jesus Christ. So whatever it is, it's not good, man. And he's like, you know the cause and you know the cost and you stand against it. So, you know, I just did a little bit of research this week uh, on the church of Ephesus. So here's a little bit of information. The Ephesus as a city was a massive metropolis. It was a big city. And uh, there was the temple of Artemis there. This was like a Greek goddess. And this temple of Artemis was all about kind of worshiping and celebrating sexuality and love, but love in a very aberrant way, twisting it all upside down and trying to celebrate what was broken and not celebrate what should be celebrated. In fact, they had literally thousands of priests and thousands of priestesses that would attend there and run it and draw everybody to it. Get that, man. Thousands of priests, thousands of priestesses, and they would pull people by the tens of thousands in there. In fact, most of the priestesses were temple prostitutes. They would sleep with you, and somehow there was supposed to be some kind of divine benefit in that. And so there was this call to come to evil sexual behavior as getting right with the gods somehow. And there was all of this prostitution around. The city was dark. The, the, the number of idolatrous options was everywhere. Can you imagine how the church at Ephesus would be like, hole up, pull it in, call what's good, and start living for that? Can you imagine how the church was like, not that. And all of a sudden, what started to happen to the church is they became hateful against not that. And their actions became in themselves pure. But their hearts started drifting from the God who is love and from the love that was warming their soul in the first place. They were defined by not that rather than like him. And it changed their world. That's what the call was. In the middle of the church at Ephesus, don't let this world's sin define you. You define your light in this world. That's what's being said. Man, I'm not sure there could be a more thunderous message for us today. Don't let the sin of this world define where your attentions and angers go. You stand with your God like him with a smile on your face. Love, 
compassion, holiness, righteousness. It's not about being tolerant of sin. That's not love. He's already like, I'm great that you're standing against those actions. But it is about get right with me and get after me with all you've got. They became box definers. This is what holiness will look like. Step in the box, hate what's outside. May we never become that church. And all of God's people said, dude, it's easy to drift. And the number one fix is getting an infusion of a love of Jesus Christ with all you've got. May we truly remain in him, okay? Point number three, be a conqueror for Jesus and you will live with him forevermore. Be a conqueror for Jesus and you will live with him forevermore. Just so you know, this recipe is in every single letter to the churches. It ends with a single challenge right at the end, just saying, here's what you can have in him. Here it's talking about being a conqueror. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Like, listen up. Here's the message. He who has an ear, let him hear. Then he says, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life. To the one who conquers, everybody say saved. Saved. He's like, to the ones who are saved and they make it through because they haven't been faking it, they're not posing. The love of the God of the universe is pouring in. Their lives are being shaped. They will conquer. They're making it through to the end. Please hear me. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And he's like, to those who conquer, to those who have passion and hope in him, here is your hope. You will be able to eat of the tree of life. In other words, there is the same tree of life. We'll see it described in Revelation 21, 22 as the city and all that's described. And you see the tree of life there. And there is actually this tree that is going to be a part of eternal life. It's that same tree of life that you see back in Eden. And man, we have this beautiful promise that there is life forever with our God, forever with him. Everybody say forever. Don't miss that. And we aren't toying around with a little bit of time. We're toying around with eternity. May God get all the glory. And he's like, praise God for this, for those who do trust in Christ, for those who are saved, for those who are hanging in there, for those who have the faith and the endurance and the patience, for those who are infused with the Spirit and they aren't growing weary, they're standing with their God along the way. For those who are saved, man, know this, you have a hope at the end. There is eternal life as a privilege. And then he says, which is the paradise of God, which is the paradise of God. We are in a broken world and we are heading to one that is not. We are in a sinful world and we are heading to one that is not. We are in a world where sin is rampant and we are heading to one where it is not. And we are in a world where death hurts and we are heading to a one where it does not exist. May God get all the glory. Know this. We are called to be conquerors. May we love him with all we've got. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.